I don't think I could have been successful or you, John, if you just straight up were like this person nobody's ever heard of and you're like, hey, pay for my stuff now. But it goes back to to anything. It's like exchange of value. And so for years, people had been listening to, you know, following you on LinkedIn or subscribing to your content or they've heard about the good stuff that you've done. You had built up years of equity with people. And then basically what changed for me is like, oh, wow, I can now monetize this where sure, maybe there's 100,000 followers on LinkedIn who are going to get that stuff for free. But is there 2,000 people that might be willing to pay for this? And they were. And so that was like a big brain break for me. But specifically as a content creator or somebody doing stuff in the media space, I was say, I said this to you before and I'll say it right now. Like I, My brain is broken because of the way that I'm able to generate income now, whether it's through sponsorships, or, you know, influencer marketing type stuff or content or creating a course or a training or whatever, I can not only make more money than I made as a marketing executive, right? But I can do it all on my terms. Louder than words. So I saw I was I was online this morning. I saw you were doing like push-ups with a weighted vest with the locks playing in the background in the middle of your living room. And I was like, your evolution to like fitness influencer fighting dad, but like is well underway, man. Is that what's happening here? Like I like I'm getting up in the morning. I'm like, yo, Dave's already done like 10,000 steps. I need to get like I need to get my 5K in at like six, six a.m. <laughs> I've okay, so <laughs> there's been a bunch of comments about this. Like, are you trying to become a fitness influencer? And I said, no, this is who I've been my whole life. I'm just recently sharing more of that online because I'm a little bit tired of talking about marketing and B2B yeah. marketing. And, you know, somebody was like, look at, you know, I get some chirping and whatever. And it's like, you know what, what I've talked about, what I talk about on LinkedIn or up until this point on LinkedIn and Twitter and whatever, it's like, that actually represents like maybe like 16% of who I actually am as a person. And so I think the video of me listening to the locks and doing push-ups is actually more representative of who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I just put like, I'm just trying to have more fun and like post what I want. And I don't care if it gets zero likes or comments and you know, my friends will make fun of me. Like, why are you posting videos of you doing pushups on, on Twitter? And I'm like, you know what? Because it's just for, it's for my own fun. It's, I like to do it. And, you know, I get a couple comments of like random people who was like, man, I wasn't working out. And like, I saw you doing pushups and I had to work out today. I'm like, okay, cool. Like whatever. That's, that's good for me. Right. That, that, that right. Make, makes me feel good. I, I get a, I get a happiness from like seeing other people like work out and stuff. So Go That's figure, one man. slice, yeah. Just Next, talk about what, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just talk about what what you're doing, right? So I'm not trying to be a fitness inf influencer. I am trying to, I would love to make a living for the rest of my life doing the things that I enjoy. And so like, <laughs> am I, you know, not so secretly thinking about like, man, I really love working out and fitness and reading and golf. And I'm like, and I don't have a path to this yet, but I'm like, how can I make... I'm going to have that be my job for the rest of my life. And and if you hate that, then right. I hate you. So, <laughs> Right, yeah. Well, I think what you're really good at, too, is you take the seemingly mundane things 
and you just talk about them and then other people relate, right? Like, because we all are either thinking about it or doing it. Like you posted something, I don't know when it was, like a month or two ago, might've been longer. Uh, internet time is weird where you were just like, you know, I have kids. So I just do push-ups in between meetings or whatever I can get in. Like, and that's what I like. I have our, my fifth kid coming. So that's what I've been doing for a couple of years. Right. And I'm like, push-ups in between zoom meetings, you know, uh, whatever's lying around here, like, Oh, the door frame, let me do a couple pull up. Right. Like you just, you, <laughs> if you wait until you can go to the gym and put in like an hour, like, I just don't have that. That's not my life right now. Right. I'm not in that phase of life. And so when you put that out, yeah, I got a root. I was, I had, well, you, you're about to have five kids, which is like, you deserve <laughs> all of the trophies in the world. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast, sign up as a sponsor and pay this man because he's got five children on the way. Where I learned that lesson, so I've, al- I've always been into working out and fitness and stuff. And um, it was uh, after my daughter was born, like two weeks after she was born, I was, I tried to continue doing what I was doing, which was, going to the 6 a.m. CrossFit class in Boston when I was living. And it just was like, you know, two days into that, I was like, this, this is impossible. Like I have one and a half hours of sleep and I got to go to work. And this is just, this is chaos. And so uh, at that time, I bought like a, kettle, a, a kettlebell. And this was in my like small apartment in Boston. I bought a kettlebell, some bands, and I bought a set of these like Bowflex, uh, like, changeable dumbbells yeah. which during covid those were like you could sell those things for like three oh, grand yeah. easily or something easily. <laughs> and uh i just started like in the mornings when i would get up with my daughter uh she would you know get up at, well she'd be up all night but like get up in the morning and my wife would, would feed her and go back to sleep and i would just kind of be up with my daughter at five in the morning and when they're that little you can't really do much she's just rolling around i just wanted to be with her and so She'd be laying there on the little play mat and I would bang out some kettlebell swings and some push-ups and some squats. And I've just kind of built off of that from there. I think the only thing is I I appreciate what you're doing with the in-between stuff. But for me, mentally, I need to like have the workout in the morning so it's done. Oh, yeah. Like I don't like when it's when it's looming all day and I gotta think about doing it. So I would like, I would just try, I would like to box that into like 20 or 30 minutes. And recently I've just really kind of embraced that. And so I just kind of do all stuff that I can do at home in 20 or 30 minutes. If the kids are in the backyard, if I'm by myself, if I'm in between meetings for a little bit, as opposed to like these hour, you know, marathon gym sessions. And I'm enjoying that. And I do think a big part of like fitness is the mental health benefit of it too. And I I look forward to doing it every day. And that's kind of where that has come from. That's the bigger part of it now for me, like here in my late thirties, like obviously I want to be in shape, but the part, is that my phone? Oh damn! Uh, and and so was that a ringtone? No, it was uh, it was Spotify, man. I had some. <laughs> I had I had my own hip hop playlist playing. I thought you just had like a ringtone. I thought oh, like yeah. your wife was calling you and you had like this is like two thousand five. Yeah, I got I got <laughs> yeah uh, some Nelly dilemma as my ringtone. But yeah, the <laughs> it's a deep cut. But yeah, man, the the mental health aspect is to me so much bigger now. Um, obviously, I want to be in shape there's something strangely satisfying and inspiring and motivating about exercising when the sun's coming up. I don't mean when it's dark coming up. I mean like early morning sun. when I go on a run, it's just different, man. If I, if I go running late afternoon, it's just, you just get back and you just feel different. I don't know. Oh yeah. I was, uh, I, I went for a run yesterday morning at about seven thirty. Yeah. It was the best. I was like, 
the nicest person in the world the entire rest of the day because of that. Yeah. <laughs> Giving out head, head nods and fist bumps to everybody on the trail. <laughs> I just I just went this morning on a bike ride and it's it's the same thing. The the bikers do the head nod. You know, they do the cool guy like head nod. Um nobody's taking their hands off. This the, is my this is my way. I saw yeah. I tweet about that, but this is how I do it. <laughs> or if I see someone like really running hard who's like in way better shape than me, I give them this one. Yeah, yeah. You actually dap them up. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. same thing, man. Like everybody running on the but, trail, doesn't matter how old, man, woman, like high school kid, like everybody's like respect. I don't know if it's a Yeah, because no, we're all highest balls, like yeah. in in full workout. It's just like everybody's happy. Everybody's right. great. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Uh, and you you're you're a judging by like what you say, what you post on Twitter, like are you, is running like a fairly new like addition to your workout? Over the past, I don't know, a couple of years, were you always a runner? No, I was. Uh, I mean, I've always been. I've always had to run. Like I was, I played sports in high school and through college, and running was like you know punishment or <laughs> or part of what you needed to do. But I never. I very. There was a time in my earlier twenties where I would run, but it was more so because I had like a fitness test or something that I had to like stay in cardio shape for. I'm new to running in the sense of like. I'm like, you know what I'm going to do for fun today for my own enjoyment? I'm going to go for a yeah. run. And I got into it last year because I just, I, on a quest to be just like more well-rounded, I was like, how can you be so into fitness and working out and stuff? And like, you don't run. And I was very, I bought into all of these, like, you know, I, I don't know if it's confirmation bias or whatever, but like we, we buy into things that like reconfirm our beliefs. And so I was like, I don't like running. And so I love these videos from like people in the fitness world who was like, you don't need running for cardio. Like, you know, just lift weights and walk 10,000 steps a day. And like, you can get in great shape and, you know, w walking is better and zone two and all this. And there's a lot to that. Right. But I just felt like, man, I, I just should be able to like go run three to five miles. Just, I don't know if the world ends and you could just got to run somewhere. Yeah. Right. Or, or just like, just like in general, right. Same way. Like I always want to be to like jump on stuff or bench press or squat or whatever. And so I just started running. And so I ran one mile a day for like five days in a row. And I was like, Whoa, this is weird. I kind of like that. You're great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, what I liked about it is that it, it scratched two things, two itches for me, which is like, I, you know, I work at home and I just feel like I need to get outside first thing in the morning or early in the day. And I would like, work out and I'd work out in my basement, but then I'd be like, damn it, I still haven't got outside yet. And I'm claustrophobic down there. It's this tiny little place where I work out. And so then I would um, want to like, go for a walk or take the dog for a walk. But then I found running and I was like, wait a second, I just did two bir killed two birds with one stone. I was outside and I ran and I ran with the dog and she's tired as hell now and she's laying on the floor. So like everyone wins. And I just, I very strangely in the month of December and I live in Vermont, it was very cold and snowy. I, I ended up running like 28 out of the 31 days in December only because I wasn't training for anything. Literally, it's just like what my body was craving to do. I wanted to go and do it every day. And that just kind of compounded. And then I said like, hey, maybe let's push this thing a little bit and let's train for something and train for a half marathon. And I got up to, you know, running six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 miles and just kind of built that habit. And what I found through that was, yes, I made a lot of improvements in my cardio but what I did, what I severely underrated in that like walk 10,000 steps a day, you don't need to run thing is the mental and the yeah. emotional and the anxiety and stress and sleep benefits from, from running. Right. And so 
I've now just kind of baked that into my routine. In the summer, I play a lot of golf and I usually walk when I play a lot of, when I play golf and that's like you're walking seven, eight, nine miles. And so I've been running way less in the summer, but I would say typically in the fall through the winter, I would like to see myself running, you know, four out of five days of the week, not even to train for anything, just because like, man, that feeling of getting out there for a 30 to 50 minute run is like, it's literally a drug. And if I can do that to start my day, I'm going to put myself in an awesome position. And so now I found myself, I'm a runner. My wife is like, I, you said you'd never be a runner. And I was like, I didn't know what it, what it really was like. Yeah. yeah. Once you get a taste of it, it is addicting. Like no matter if your ankles hurt, your knees hurt, like I still get out there and it's, uh, it's crazy, man. Did you do the half marathon? I didn't do the half marathon only because, um, I hurt, I hurt my foot towards the end. And like, I would, I think it was probably like plantar fasciitis where I wake, I would like wake up in the middle of the night. Like if I had to go pee in the middle of the night, I would wake up and I literally yeah. couldn't walk to the bathroom and you shuffle across the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, for me, golf was like the big thing and it was in April and I was like, ah, I really want to like, I've now become a runner. Like, and so I kind of have accomplished the goal. And so I didn't end up doing the half marathon, but I also didn't want to get injured. And so I took a bunch of time off from running for that reason. So I didn't run the half marathon, but I feel like I ended up winning anyway, because out of that, I became a runner. And then like just a bunch of other cool things have come from that, which is uh, a couple of my neighbors were like, Hey, you're into running now. Do you want to run this? Like uh, we're doing like a relay, a team marathon they were like, can you run one of the legs? And so I went from like not running to like, I ran the, I ran a six and a half mile leg of the race. Oh, that's awesome. Which if you had asked me three months prior, like I, I have never, I, I can't run more than two miles. And so to go out and like bang out six miles on a Sunday morning and then go eat cake and ice cream at a little kid's birthday party is like, <laughs> that, that was awesome. And so I didn't do that. That's an amazing Sunday. It was an amazing Sunday. I crush and, and for as much as I'm into health and fitness, like don't get me, don't get it twisted, please. I crush cake and Domino's <laughs> pizza at a child's birthday party. That is basically why I work out. Yeah, that's the, yeah. you got to make room for all that stuff and all the food you're finishing for your kids that they don't, that they don't eat. You want to talk about fighting dad bod. That's it. Like, you know, uh, but yeah. Well, you got the, the problem is most people eat that and then don't work out at that <laughs> same level. So you, it doesn't, that, that part doesn't really work out that way. Yeah. And that's why you have more kids. Cause then the older ones help you. My oldest is a, is a boy. So this, this dude will eat me out of the house. Like, He's eating stuff at before I get to it. And it's uh and he's only seven. So it's it's crazy. So yeah, if you're following, if you're following Dave, don't just come for the B2B marketing stuff, right? Like this guy's like talking about uh he's gonna get you working out, he's gonna get you, you know, feeling guilty in a good way that you need to get out and sweat. But obviously the B2B marketing stuff, like that's how you sort of that I mean, that's how I, you know, learned who you were, right? I knew you back when you were at HubSpot though, like pre pre-drift when it was cool to know who Dave Gearhart was, right? You were just Dave back then. You weren't, was you weren't cool? DG, Dave. right? You had hair. Like no. you, you were, you were way different. <laughs> like you had hair. My, I, I had hair. My wife says I had like a beer face. <laughs> a beer face. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah, you had hair. You were just Dave. You probably had like a couple thousand followers, right? On, on Twitter. What the hell happened? Like what? So like you, you went through this few year period where you went from Dave, the guy who produces a podcast at HubSpot to the guy who like, you know, that meme of Jeff Bezos, like, Ooh, I sell books online when he was like a nerdy, you know, uh, and he had hair. Yeah. And then later on, he's like jacked up, bald aviator sunglasses. And he's like, oh, yeah. I sell whatever the fuck I want. But like you went from being Dave, the guy who produces podcasts at HubSpot and you, you had a solid track record, right? You got constant contact privy, but then all of a sudden you were DG, the like the B2B marketing guy. 
like this didn't happen overnight, right? But like, what happened? Like, how did that happen? Man, when I hear this out loud, it's like the dorkiest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty dorky, right? We're talking about B2B marketing. Yeah. No, but um, I mean, uh, okay. So, well, I think what really happened is um, I got attached to a company that did really well and got had a lot of, and grew really fast and had a lot of attention. And I was the earliest marketing person there and had a great relationship with the founders and David, the CEO. And I think, you know, it's like being part of a team, right? The team, like you, you, I became part of something that was much bigger than myself personally. And the company grew really fast, had a lot of buzz, was like, you know, not to be all like tech cliche, but like, you know, disrupting, a disrupting an industry. We kind of, as a company came on the map and did things differently than other people were doing it. And so like as a company, Drift had a lot of attention and we got a lot of credit for how we did marketing. And I was behind a bunch of the marketing, obviously with an amazing team and and David truly a visionary as a CEO, but like I was his right-hand person, you know, on, on a lot of the marketing stuff for four years. And so I think it's a combination of that. And they, you know, raised venture capital money from Sequoia, you know, tier one VCs. And, you know, we had big name customers and we were doing exciting stuff. And so it wasn't anything that I did to build my personal brand. It just happened as part of the company. And it was like, oh yeah, Dave is involved in the marketing at Drift. And, you know, and David Cancel and I, the CEO, we had a podcast together and we we built like a mini following in the industry of marketing based on the stuff that we were doing. And so I was able to grow my career as fast as this company was growing. And so over the course of four years, I went from, you know, marketing manager to director of marketing to VP of marketing. And when I when I left, I was eventually CMO at a different company. And so I think it was it was like, obviously, I'm proud of the stuff that I did, but I think it wouldn't have happened if I wasn't attached to a company. And I definitely didn't set out to go and like build my personal brand. But what happened was the company was selling to marketers and me as the marketing person there, I started writing regularly about what we're doing in in marketing. And that happened to be on LinkedIn yeah. and Twitter and, and through the podcast, right? The walk and talk video that you were rightly or wrongly credited or, or shamed for <laughs> at the time. <laughs> but it worked. So no, the walk and talk videos, like I, what we found was that LinkedIn had just started at LinkedIn had just added like video. I don't know if they had video before, if nobody was using it, but like I started posting these videos and they had like 30,000 views and I had like 6,000 followers. And it was so clear that like, whoa, holy shit, they're prioritizing video. And this was at a time when like all the other social platforms were moving to video. And so we just found that videos got a ton of views and also, I think we were in this niche of B2B marketing where in the B2B world, everything was so, you know, polished and on brand. And, and uh, at the time, I, I read um, the Boron Letters by Gary Halbert. And he talks about this concept of like the A pile and the B pile when it comes to your mail. And he says, like, you come home and you get the mail out of the mailbox, right? And we get this one big pile of mail and what do you what do you do with the mail, right? You immediately take the Bed Bath and Beyond and Best Buy flyers, and you move those over to one side. And then on the other side, there's like this 
you know, clearly handwritten, like an envelope with a stamp on it and a handwritten note that says like, you know, to, you know, you know, John Benini, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Here's your address. And you're like, oh, cool. And you open it up and it's a handwritten note from your, from your aunt who sends you, you know, $5 for your birthday. And uh, we thought about that a lot. And so it's like, that's why we kind of only sent plain text emails at a time at the time. And I could not believe that nobody else was doing this, but people were so obsessed with being on brand and putting out this creative and the videos and like this highly designed, you know, everything like this was not a, this was not an ad, but everybody thinks your stuff is an ad. And so they're going to turn it off. And so what worked really well for us was just talking like this (laughs) And especially what was helpful was like we were marketing to marketers. And so very much the tone of the videos was like, hey, I'm Dave. I'm a marketing guy. I'm, do- I'm doing marketing just like you are at your company. Here's something that's interesting that's really working for us. And I just happened to deliver that as I was walking to the office every day. And it made it so like I didn't have to be like, all right, today, this is content production day. And we're going to sit down and like do this highly produced stuff. And that worked really well. And I think it was also just it was a glimpse into how we did a bunch of the different things in marketing. And we became known for this very personal and authentic tone, which if you go back and study like copywriting and direct response, that's kind of always, that's been a staple of that stuff forever, but it just hadn't worked its way into B2B SaaS at the time. That time was interesting too. I think you guys played into this a lot, but there was this movement at the time where people like you were breaking the fourth wall. Like marketers were talking about how they were marketing. And then they were talking about the things that they didn't like about. I just think after years of SEO and years of bad nurturing practices and sales, all of a sudden, like people were just like, yo, this, this sucks. And like, we think this is better. Um, And it was like a weird, and I feel like you played into that really well. Right. And like the, the LinkedIn videos, like you were just like, Hey, I'm Dave, right? Like no highly produced, like low fidelity, but high quality content. And it was, uh, I've also just been comfortable, like I've always been comfortable in a public speaking. I'm actually a pretty introverted person in in my real life, but I've always been, it's very weird. I'm introverted, but I would, I enjoy like speaking on a stage of people, right? And um, I hear Darmesh at HubSpot talk about this yeah. all the time too. He's like, I'm, I'm super introverted. And I'm like, dude, you're one of the best public speakers I've seen. Like, <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> he really is. He's amazing. I know. So like he might be introverted, but it doesn't mean you can't be an incredible speaker. And I had had a podcast and some other stuff uh, earlier than that. And so I was just comfortable coming up with like little things to say. And I wasn't afraid of just like turning on the camera on my phone and and doing that. I do. I do also think, though, a big part of this is like we were we were marketing to marketers like I I could not have been head of marketing at a cybersecurity company walking down the street being like, check this (laughs) out. Here's two cool things that we did. You know, it doesn't work the same. And so I think there was also a level of like, it was the right fit for that audience. And that, that worked really well. Exactly. Yeah. I think, yeah, it was, it's, it's interesting. Like marketing to marketers in that space, I think is, yeah. Like if, if your, if your audience is, uh, yeah, either too too far up market or I don't know. I know engineers are a little bit different. HR profet, right? It's yeah, it, it was a perfect space to be in, and I've I've sort of lived that life too. Makes your job uh, a lot easier in many ways. When did you like? There must have been an inflection point where you were like, something's happening here with my con- with me with my content, separate from the company I'm working at. A- again, it was it was happened to coincide with when you were at Drift, but then you went to Privy and then I think you came back to Drift, right? Yeah. But when did you start to realize like something bigger happening here that eventually led to 
your Patreon, which, you know, what would you call it at first? Uh, DGM, Dave, I don't want to talk about it or whatever. Um, no, the it was worse than that. The first is called the A list. Oh, the A. Um, <laughs> that's not bad. That's not terrible. <laughs> no, it's not bad. It's fine. <laughs> whatever. When did you start? To, yeah, talk about that. Like that inflection point. It was it was years before even starting that. It was maybe about like six to eight. It was um, in the first year. It was at the first year of being at Drift. So I la- I started at Drift in October of that year, and. At the time, they had a VP of marketing when I joined. And was it Meerman? No, there was actually three. So, on my rise to VP of marketing, there there was actually three other VPs of marketing that name they hired above. Jess Indiorio, I think she was there too, right? Yeah, there was somebody <laughs> before that. There was somebody before that when I started, and yeah. so I didn't start to. I didn't join to start marketing, but. From week one, this is not a joke. From week one, David and I just like hit it off on a level of marketing where like we were just were the same page. And I was just so hungry at the time that like he was feeding me books and ideas and things. And like he would send me an idea. And this was also a different time in my life. This was pre <laughs> this was pre kids. Like I'd be like, cool, I'm gonna do this tonight. And then like the next day, I'd come into work and I'd be like, check this out. I made this landing page. And I did this thing. And he'd be like, yes. And just moved really fast on a lot of stuff. And so within maybe a couple of weeks of me being there, they moved on from this other VP of marketing, not to give me the job, but I think he was like, oh, cool. Like we can get, a, we're getting a lot done with this like guy that we're paying like 80 grand in a marketing manager role. Like this is great. Let's just run with this. A couple months after that, they hired Jess, who was awesome. Uh, but for whatever reason, just wasn't the right fit at Drift at the time. And that was a hard time for me because I don't know how many months that she was there, but it, I felt like we were moving slowly and David and other people on the team were still coming to me for like all of the things and moving really fast. And it was just so obvious that like, like I'm the guy that's going to help get us done, get us these things done. And so like, there was just a gravitational pull to move faster and I don't want to say like work around, work around Jess. And she's, she's awesome. She's a much better CMO level than I ever could be. But at that point in time in the company, we needed the scrappy person who could like do all the things for the first time. And so she ended up leaving and about six months in, I was not VP of marketing. I was still marketing manager, but it was very clear within the company and I had the respect of the company and the people around the team if you title or not, if you said like, who's responsible for marketing at Drift right now, they would say, they would say Dave. And I remember like having a walk going on, going for a walk with David Cancel. And this is how we spent a lot of our times together, which is like, we had a one-on-one in the calendar, but a lot of times, you know, we sat, we shared a desk and we sat next to each other and he'd be like, let's go for a walk. And I'd be like, all right, I guess I'm not doing my to-do list. Right. And it's the CEO and like, yeah, what, yeah let's go for a walk. No, right. <laughs> Next thing you know, and our office was in Cambridge at the time, and like we would literally go for like a two-hour walk. Like we're in Cambridge, and next thing you know, we're like eating lunch at some like you know sandwich place in Beacon Hill. And I'm like, all right, this is the most important part of my career is like these these things right now. And I remember one day he's like, you know, it's he's like, are you ready? <laughs> I was like, ready for what? He's like, this is you know, it's your time. It's your time to like run mark to do this. Like I'm like, okay. And, and he was like, so we're going to promote you. He's like, he's like, I want to promote you to director of marketing. Cause I want to give you like, I want to give you that title. And I want everybody to know that like you're responsible, but and 
you need to hire somebody. You need to hire people now and you need to prove that these people can be successful and then I can give you that title, which I was so mad about that at the time. But looking back, like I have so much respect for that. And as somebody who's now hired people in the future, that's how you got to do it. Like any hiring mistake that I've made, it's like when you give somebody a title before they're ready for it, it just, you don't, things just, everything breaks in some reason. And I used to be like, man, why do these people care so much about job titles? But it matters in a lot of ways. So hired hired the first person, hired the second person. And really quickly, we had a team of two or three awesome people. It was Eric who was writing content at HubSpot at the time. And he's just one of the most creative and best writers that I've ever worked with. Uh, and Amy at the time, and she was making video and social media content. And so then we had a team of two or three people they they became successful like they were doing great work inside of the company and then at that point in time i got promoted to director of marketing and so that was kind of the first thing i was like whoa i just now i'm director of marketing like i did not come to this company to run marketing i came to this company cuz i was like pretty good at content and pr and comms and stuff and cool now i'm in this position and so that was a time in my life where like i switched from like content creator even though i was still doing those things to like okay i got to get smart about how to run a marketing team and it was similar on that journey. The company started to grow, real, you know, to grow really fast, and things were still going well. And that fall, I remember David was like, "It's time for you to meet." Man, I've never told this stuff to anyway. This is cool. <laughs> uh, he was like, "It's time." He's like, "It's time for you to meet the boss." And I'm like, "Who's the? Oh, you're the boss. Who's the boss?" And he's like, "No." He's like, "You. It's time." Uh, Ezar, who's our main investor, and Ezar Armoni is a, a unbelievable entrepreneur, a former entrepreneur and investor at at CRV. And they basically, them and General Catalyst wrote, you know, invested $15 million in Drift because they believe so much in David and Elias before the company got off the ground. And he's like, he wants to meet with you. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, about what? He's like, he thinks you're doing an awesome job. And I was like, really? And so I was like, whoa. And so like that meant, that meant to me, like they must have been in board meetings and in company things behind this. And the company was so early at this stage, like we maybe had like a million or two in rev, like maybe just hit a million in revenue. The team was like 15 people. But that meant to me, like they were talking about me in some way and and he wanted to he wanted to meet me. And so I ended up going to a Patriots game with this guy and I was so nervous and <laughs> To make things worse, I remember David had messaged me like the day before. And he's like, don't fuck this up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm not going to fuck this up. Got it. Yeah. That was like a big moment in my career to like get to hang out with this like big time venture capitalist. And he was just so kind and was like, man, you're doing an awesome job. You've, you know, everybody, our portfolio companies are talking about, you know, what you all are doing, like keep, keep it going. And that was a moment. And then what was cool, so after that moment from getting promoted to director to like hanging out with Ezar, David really started to push a lot of things my way. And so like they would invite him to speak at events and he'd be like, no, you need to have Dave speak. And there was like opportunities like that, like, no, Dave needs to go on this podcast. And so he pushed a lot of things at, at me in a point in my career where I was like, are you sure I'm ready for this? And he's like, yes. But he's like, but but be you, like don't, don't change, like just be who you are. And like, this is what, this is what we need. And, and so like, you know, I'm so thankful for those opportunities, but he pushed a lot of stuff my way. And so to your point, it wasn't necessarily about like, oh, I had, you know, 28,000 LinkedIn followers. It was more like, that was a product, that was a byproduct of the other things. But I started to get a lot of opportunities pushed my way because of the work that we were doing inside of the company. 
And I think those first two years, that's when all of that stuff built. And then on top of that, I'm writing about what we're doing at Drift and what we're learning. And we're sharing it on the podcast and on LinkedIn, on Twitter. And that's where everything else came from. And later on, I, I remember thinking early on, I was like, man, there'll be an opportunity for me later because I would get it. Once I started to get those opportunities, I'd get a company would reach out and say, hey, can you speak at our kickoff? Or can you do this thing and this thing? And so even though I didn't launch the, the Patreon thing until years later, early on in that journey, I got a lot of like inbound messages and opportunities that led me to believe like, oh, there's going to be a career for you in marketing and talking about marketing and being a marketer drift or not. And now's the time to like ride this drift wave and see where it goes. How fun was Seeking Wisdom, man? Because as a listener, it almost sounded like sometimes you guys would just be in the office and you'd be like, yo, let's go, let's go record this. Fired up. Like that's how, because sometimes it would sound like you guys literally just jumped in and were like, okay, so we were just talking about this thing and blah, 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 blah. We wanted to hit record. And I don't know why you guys ended it. Because I remember that there coming a point where I think DC was like, this is the last episode of Seeking Wisdom. And I was like, these guys, this is a gimmick. This is a marketing play right here. And then it wasn't. You guys never came back. So I don't know, just just talk about like how fun was that? Because that I feel like that that played a huge role in all the the success you're talking about. Yeah, there was two years where it was really fun. There was two years where it was really fun, and I think that is what would happen, which is like we would and and by the way, the way that that show started was, I remember when I interviewed at Drift, I had Tech and Boss in my podcast at the time, and David, I had him on my podcast, and. Before that, he was telling me about like, oh, I really want to start a podcast here. I already have the name for it. I'm going to call it Seeking Wisdom because <laughs> I love this, you know, this book, blah, blah, blah. And so when I got to Drift, I initially was just working on the podcast to like help him launch it. And so I was kind of like seeding him with questions and topics. Like I would see what he would write on Twitter or Medium. I'd be like, dude, this would be a great podcast episode. I remember like I set him up with the gear. He goes in the room by himself and he tries to record. We're just going to be a solo podcast because like, who am I? I'm not going to be on the microphone right, with this like right. very well-accomplished person. And uh, him solo didn't really work out. And so then I went in and I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to interview you, but we're just going to like take the answers to this. And it just morphed into this very free-flowing thing and it and it became, you know, David, this like accomplished CEO entrepreneur and then me like at an up-and-coming point in my career. And I acted like the host, you know, he was the talent. I used to joke like he was the talent, but I was the host. Like, all right, I'm going to prep. I'm going to figure out what we're going to talk about based on our conversations. And I'm going to interview you. And then it kind of morphed into like us talking about what we're doing at Drift. But yeah, a lot of the times it would be, we'd be on a walk and we'd be like, shoot, this is a great topic. Let's go right now. <laughs> like, and we would go and my day would be blown up and we'd go record like a 12 minute podcast episode about something or you know, he'd be sending me like screenshots of a book he was reading and he'd be like, let's record a podcast episode on this tomorrow. And then eventually we needed to create more of like a regular cadence because like you can't, the spontaneous ideas are awesome, but there'll be days and weeks, as you know, as a content creator where you don't have them. And so we eventually did need to have like a recurring, like, you know, every Tuesday at one o'clock, we have this on the calendar to record. Oftentimes we'd have enough backlog stuff where we didn't need that. And man, it drove like Amy, who was making our videos at the time, it drove them nuts because we'd be like, right now, drop everything. <laughs> we need to go make a, we need to go record the podcast and make a video. Uh, and so eventually, you know, eventually we just made it a, re a regular recurring thing. And I had like a Trello board of topics and notes and stuff. And so we'd be like, all right, what are we going to talk about today? And I would bring stuff up. And I think the reason that it, that it ended was just like, you know, things change, like our relationship changed, the company changed, we got hundreds of people at the company now, 
we kind of went through a lot of stuff personally where like we were going to bring on a CMO and that wasn't going to be me. And I don't want to say like our relationship was strained, but it just, it just changed. And so it was like, we had this magical two year period where like seeking wisdom was so good. And I just think some of our chemistry in that relationship changed towards like, you know, year three and year four, which made it harder to like go and do that every, you know, every day. And eventually it just kind of like lost steam and, he, I think he went to go do it on his own, but you know, I don't think it was, it wasn't the same as it was going to be those first couple years. And that is what it is. I think that's the, that's the reality of like content and any act of creativity. Like yeah. there just has to be a, you can plan and you can have topics and you can do whatever, but like there was just such a mo, I think the, the moment in time at Drift and in the early days of that podcast was so real and that's what made the podcast so good. Yeah, it was aligned very specifically to that time and uh, hard to replicate too. Like solo, whatever, right? All right, so the A-list slash DGMG slash exit five slash fight the dad bod. So at some point <laughs> you decided, like you put pen to paper and was like, you launched a Patreon, right? I don't know when that was. I think it was, I think you were still adrift, right? Before you went to Privy. No, I left. So basically what happened is after four years, I decided that I wanted to make a change and I wanted to leave Drift and I wanted to go do something else. And I was really just going to go and quit and do what I'm doing now. Well, not Exit 5, but I had read this book, Million Dollar Consulting by Alan Weiss. Yeah. I had always been a fan of like Russell Brunson and Dan Kennedy and information products and over those years at Drift, I would start to get emails from people like, hey, can you do consulting? And you know, we'll pay you 10 grand a month to do this thing. And I never said yes to any of those things while I was working at Drift, but I kind of always knew like, oh man, this is my path to get out of working at a company. And the reason I left Drift was just because it was amazing chapter of my life, but everybody needs to just move on and do something different. And I just kind of like, you know, was just burnt out. And that's nobody's fault. It just happens, right? And so I needed to make a change. And Ben Jabawi, who was the founder and CEO of Privy, I worked at Privy like six years prior, not even in a marketing role. They were like a 10-person startup. I was the customer success manager, <laughs> which the company ended up running out of money and failing the first time. And that maybe that's part of the reason why is I was the one helping the customers. <laughs> Uh, but we had stayed in touch and they were really, he really wanted to like bring me on as a CMO and like over the years, you know, like the way that I do did marketing and we thought about a lot of things in the same way. And so I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to leave. Like, you know, after uh, my son's born in next fall, like end of the year, I'm just going to wind my time down. And to the credit of the guys at Drift, they did anything to just have me stay. They're like, man, you can just host a podcast and like do social media and be an evangelist. And it's like, no, I just, you could pay pay me any amount of money, give me any type of job. I just needed to like, just my whole life and career and Dave at that time was so defined by drift. And anybody who's been in a situation like this can maybe understand. I just needed to do something else. I needed to be associate, like I needed to just be Dave on my own. And, you know, I give them so much credit for like how, how my career has grown, but I just needed to like, be be outside of that that space and and do my own thing. And so I was at a I remember being at a Red Sox game and Ben's brother is married to my cousin and so I'm friends with them and we're having a couple beers at a Red Sox game and he's like come come be my CMO and I'm like no I don't want to do it. 
I'm just going to do my own thing. I got plenty of opportunities. I'm going to do consulting. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to have sponsorships. Like I had this whole thing mapped out, which is what I'm doing yeah. now. Yeah. And he's like, look, I have this very clear vision. I want to sell the company within two years. I think you could be a huge part of that. There'd be nice upside for you. I want to run this playbook. Here's what we're going to do. I'm not, not going to be on your ass. I'm going to give you all the freedom. You can you know, bring on a new team. You can do whatever you want. And by the way, if you want to have other clients, if you want to have consulting clients and you want to start your podcast and do this thing, please do that. I don't even care. He's like, I, even if you come to the office four days out of five of the week, don't care. Do your own thing, but just like help me work. Like, please, I know I'm going to get your A game. And I was like, whoa, this kind of seems like a no lose scenario. Right, right. Right. And so the way that I started the Patreon thing, which is Privy, was in the e commerce space, right? And I basically built up all of my audience and content and thought leadership about B2B marketing. And I was like, well, that's where my opportunity was. I don't want that to go away, and I, but I can't start like a B2B marketing podcast at Privy. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start my own, my own podcast. Like I'm going to have like Dave's podcast and I'll talk about what I'm learning as a CMO second time around and all marketing stuff and I'll have guests, blah, blah, blah. My wife is subscribed to this comedian on Patreon and I see these credit card charges and I'm like, what? 15 bucks a month on Patreon. I'm like, what the heck is that? And she's like, oh, I listen to this comedian and it's 15 bucks a month for her private podcast. I'm like, private podcast? I'm like, what is that? And she's like, well, she posts like 20, 30 minutes a week of stuff that she doesn't release to the public. I was like, oh, I think I could do that. And I'm going to try it with this very real and raw format of me just like talking into my phone and talking about what we're doing. And I was never like sharing like internal secrets or talking about the team at companies and stuff. It was just like my take on what's happening, right? And I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch this. And when I, I said, I'm going to launch it when I leave Drift. And I'm going to use that as the hook. So I decided that I'm going to leave Drift, whatever. I knew it was going to be a big deal to people in the industry and in that world because like, I was associated with Drift in such a way where like, my name might as well have been the third founder in the company story. And so I recorded a podcast episode explaining why I'm leaving and what I'm going to do next. But the podcast episode was behind the paywall on the Patreon thing. And I had maybe had, I don't know, like 50, 60, 70,000 followers on LinkedIn at the time. And nobody saw this coming. And so like the day that I left, my last day, I wrote like, today's my last, it was the last day I just, I had got off the, I did Hypergrowth, our last big event at Drift. And I was on my plane ride home and that was it. That was my last day. And on the plane, I launched the Patreon thing. I had already had it set up. And I said, today was my last day at Drift. I'm doing X, Y, and Z, blah, 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 blah. If you want to go and hear the story and like, you know, follow me for future stuff, like join, I'm launching a new private podcast. We're going to share all my lessons and learnings and thoughts about marketing. And I expected to get like 10 people and it'd be like 50 bucks a month and I'd be cool. But like within the first two weeks, I must've had hundreds of, of paying members and all of a sudden, what I just thought was going to just be like a little side blog of mine became an income stream. And then it became this like fun game where it's like, wow, the more content I put mm -hmm. in here and the more stuff that I do, the more it grows and the more revenue. And it, it was like a SaaS business where I'm like, boom, $10 member, boop, $10 member, boop, $10 member, doing cool stuff, doing cool stuff. Six months later, I have like a thousand members. And I'm like, holy shit. This is a thousand members at $10 a month. I'm making 10 grand a month from content. Anybody who says like, oh, why'd you put your stuff behind a paywall or blah, blah. That's why, because it's like 
it was a ridiculous income channel, but the value was also there. Like people, the renewal rate was amazing. The referral rate was amazing. It was unlike anything I had experienced with content. And so I just kind of like, then I'm, then I'm at Privy and I took the job at Privy and I'm CMO there, but I have this like 12, 13, 14, 15 K a month content business that's happening on top of that. And that's kind of where that whole thing started. And eventually it became a community because members were like, Hey man, we don't just want to hear from you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) We want to talk to each other. Right. Yeah. Like there's thousands of us in here. There's like, you know, 1500 of us in here now that all work in marketing. Like, let us talk to each other. And I was like, ah, that would be smart. And then it was a Facebook group, right? Yeah. (laughs) And that was huge because it took the pressure off of me as a content creator and I get to, you know, anyway. Yeah. So that's, that's where that came from. Talk about like, we, we talked about this briefly before I got out. Cause I was telling you when I, I first launched my Patreon, I think that was 2020. So we're going on three years ago. That broke my thinking in a lot of ways about tradition, the traditional ways that you make money, right? For some reason, up until that point, I just figured, you know, like this is, you get a job with a good company, you work your way up the, you know, director of VP, you know, that's, that's what you do, right? That's what, that's what I aspire to do. But then dude, it was the same as you 10 bucks a month, few hundred members in, I'm just like, it breaks something within your mindset about like, oh, wait, I can do this on my own, right? Not that you don't need an employer, right? Because especially when I first started, like that was it wasn't covering my bills, right? And it wasn't covering everything, but it was a signal that, like, oh man, I the financial upside is obviously much greater. Like you're you're more bought into it because it's your stuff, whether it's doing well or not, right? You're just more bought into it. So like talk about like, did you have a similar experience where for me, I always tell people it broke something within me in a good way. Like, how would you describe that? Like, did you have a similar realization? Yeah. Yes, it completely broke my brain and how I think about revenue. And it's why I think about like, what are, you know, the is is something like LinkedIn followers or Twitter followers or whatever, vanity, a vanity metric, right? Maybe on its own, but now I had this like very clear real world example. And by the way, the way I would, I would see this because once a week or so, I would like do a promo for my Patreon on LinkedIn. And I'm sure you've seen the same thing. Like the mm-hmm. next two days, you get 36 new members. Yeah. And I'm like, so what's the what's the ROI of this? Well, like I just added another $500 in recurring revenue because I wrote about the fact that this thing exists, right? And so what broke for me is like, I think the old model used to have to be like, either A, you need to work for an employer or B, you need to build this massive, huge, 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 huge audience. And like, you can only generate revenue as a content creator if you're a Kardashian or if you're Mr. Beast or whatever, right? But then here's people like you and me in a niche where there's people willing to spend and invest in their in themselves and ultimately, you know, $10 a month. So over the course of a year, and I think you get, an, there was an annual discount. So it's like someone could sign up for $100, they could get access to this for the year, I found out that people were either paying that for they had enough income where like a hundred dollars to to you know John's good some good content or whatever was like an expense that they never even thought about. Or I noticed a lot of people were emailing me and asking me, "Hey, do you have a template? I want to ask my boss if I could expense this." And so I was like, I just think there's this. I don't know how I, I don't know if I'm articulating this the right way, but there is like a a holier than thou thing with people that create content. They're like, well you know, you're charging now for your content and like, how dare you have sponsors? And I'm like, you're damn right. I have sponsors and I have, and I'm paying for this stuff. Like I've spent 
12 years learning and writing and learning about marketing. And like, I think that that's valuable. And I view see signals on other platforms. So I don't think I could have been successful or you, John, if you just straight up were like this person nobody's ever heard of. And you're like, hey, pay for my stuff now. But it goes back to to anything. It's like exchange of value. And so for years, people had been listening to, you know, following you on LinkedIn or subscribing to your content, or they've heard about the good stuff that you've done. You had built up years of equity with people. And then basically what changed for me is like, oh, wow, I can now monetize this where, sure, maybe there's 100,000 followers on LinkedIn who are going to get that stuff for free. But is there 2,000 people that might be willing to pay for this? And they were. And so that was like a big brain break for me. But specifically as a content creator or somebody doing stuff in the media space, I was say I said this to you before and I'll say it right now. Like I my brain is broken because of the way that I'm able to generate income now, whether it's through sponsorships or, you know, influencer marketing type stuff or content or creating a course or a training or whatever, I can not only make more money than I made as a marketing executive, right? But I can do it all on my terms. And that doesn't mean I have to make a million dollars a year, but let's say Let's say I was getting paid, you know, 250 grand as a marketing leader. I believe that I could make 250 grand through content for the rest of my life and I can do it in a couple hours a week and do it on my schedule and I'm picking up my kids at school and I'm dropping them off and this morning I took my daughter to a swim lesson and I'm not traveling for work and and again, whenever I, whenever anybody talks about this or I see it like on Justin Welsh's stuff and other people, there's always somebody who's going to be like, "Well, you know, you have so there's so much privilege and all this I Totally agree. I'm very, very fucking fortunate to be able to be in this position. But like, damn it, if I don't now use this the rest of my life to make sure I don't ever have to go back and work inside of a company. And so what's broken in my brain is that now to generate the same, if the same and more levels of income, I don't have to work 40 to 60 hours a week on someone else's thing. That's broken forever for me. Yeah. And to the people who say this stuff, like, oh, you're charging for it. Those people are always really loud too, right? Like they either post stuff on social or they'll email you. But you've probably got a ton of messages like this too. I've gotten messages from from people saying that like, oh, you're I got a job because of this, or I got a raise at work because I implemented this thing that you talked about in the group. And that's what keeps me motivated to keep doing it. And and that's why I share like more. I, I don't think like social media has like conditioned people that like you need to share everything and give it away for free and like inbound and all that. But yeah, I, I think the, the haters are usually louder. That's so true. I, I just think, yeah, sometimes I just am in my in my own head with that type of stuff of somebody says something when like, literally, I actually, I have my own Slack, even though I'm a one-person company, I have contractors and freelancers and people that I work with. Just for myself, I have a channel in my own Slack that I called Exit 5 Love. <laughs> and uh, I put screenshots of social proof and stuff in there. And like, yeah, I have this one from a couple of weeks ago. This is by far, someone just like proactively, this is by far the best job-specific community I've been, I've been in as part of my professional career. The quality of the questions and information shared are so helpful. This is for all my marketing friends out there. You need this. It's better than an MBA. If you just dip your toe in, check out Exit 5. If you want to just dip your toe in, check out the Exit 5 podcast. And then I have somebody that messaged me the other day and she was like, I literally just got a promotion because of the something that like happened in Exit 5. And so yes, it is that is the stuff. But I also just think like, look, you can't be fake about it. You have to be like, this to me is like the why is bigger than like B2B marketing or John or Dave as a content creator. Like what 
what do I want in life? And I'm very clear about that. I want to spend time with my family and I want autonomy to do whatever I want to do with my schedule. And so, yes, I am playing the game a little bit in that if I have an opportunity to like, if you have a skill, you are a very good content creator, John, and you've been in, you've done a lot of great things with content and marketing, right? That is your skill. If you have that as a skill that you can monetize to provide for your family all while being there as a present dad and partner to your spouse, like that to me is the why. And so like, I don't care about somebody saying that I am a bad person for, for charging for something, right? Because we're all doing this in some way. And I talked to like my sister a lot about this. She's, she works in healthcare and she makes like a fraction of what I can make doing this. And she's like, this is so ridiculous. Like I got to go into this hospital. She, she's in the admin side of things. She's, you know, she's like, I have to go into this hospital hospital for 60 to 70 hours a week. And she's like, you, you know, you better capitalize on this thing because like not everybody has the opportunity to do this. And so I just think you also have to be like, it all comes back to like, what's your actual why? Like, I know that B2B marketing and me talking about marketing is not saving the world. But I know that if I do this, it's going to provide income for my family, which is going to give me time to like be active at my kid's school, be a productive member of my local community and society and like volunteer and chaperone and invest and be part of local businesses and other things. And so I've been like, especially over the last couple of years, I've just really tried to remember like, oh yeah, that is why. And I'm doing this now as a, as a means to this other, other end, right? Like I'm not, I don't want somebody to think that like, I think that B2B marketing is the most important thing in the world. It's, it's surely not. And my opinion on that has specific, especially changed <laughs> the moment my, my daughter, you know, my, my, my child was born, like that all changed. That'll do it. I, I told my wife, cause I'm in this process now, right? Going solo and, and leaving the full-time gig and, and going all in on myself. I told her one of my goals is when the kids are older, you know, we have number five coming, they're all seven and under is I almost posted this online, but I was like, oh, people are going to take this the wrong way and, and talk their shit. But I, like one of my goals. So, so in, instead I'll say it on yeah, the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. More context here. But I want them to almost say like, dad worked. Like, not that I don't want them to see me working and see me putting in the effort because like, that's the part I thought people would misunderstand. It's like, it's, it is important for your kids to see you putting an effort on something, right? And building your own thing. I think there's a lot of value in yes, your kids seeing you do that. For sure. But I'm so present in the other stuff, gymnastics classes, picking up the the kids from school. I'm usually one of the only dads there, right? No, I'm no disrespect to the other dads or, or, or the moms they're picking up, but I'm usually one of the only dads there um, picking up my kids from school. And I love that. I mean that more as like being so present, being at every game, being at every recital, being at a, they're playing recorder. I want to be there, right? In second grade. <laughs> and yeah, so like I want almost them to be like, Dad, did you, when did you have time to work? Like when were you, yeah. when were you working? Well, I think, I, I think, yeah, like I think writing that on LinkedIn or whatever, someone's going to be like, well, wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? And it's like, <laughs> well, no, but if you hear it in this man's voice, yeah. it's like, man, I wake up every day and I'm I'm so thankful for that. And if you could do this too, wouldn't, wouldn't you? And so like, I'm trying to cap, I'm trying to like maximize that. And I, I completely agree. And I, I respect, I respect the heck out of that. Just to give you another example of this, because all these brands have, have woken up to this idea of influencer marketing and like, especially in B2B, I've been adding a bunch more like sponsorship revenue lately. Right. And now there's always going to be someone who's like, Oh, I can't believe you're doing ads, but here's how I see this. Not as 
Dave, the B2B marketing guy, but Dave as the entrepreneur, Dave as a business person, Dave as somebody who's going to try to provide for his, his family, right? In 28 minutes of writing something or making a video for somebody else, I could now generate what I used to make in one month. Yeah. Would you not Why? do that? Would you not do that? <laughs> right. And I'm not and the work is and honest. I'm not taking money. Yeah, the work is honest. And the and work is honest. This is not this is not yeah. I'm not I'm not torn between the PGA tour and live golf right now, <laughs> like in taking Saudi money, yeah. right? This is like a very reputable people are being helped, right? Tech company. Yeah. By this content. Yeah. And if you can do that in an authentic way and you can do that on your own schedule, then like this is to me what I think as a as a human, the opportunity is with the creator economy. I'm not gonna sell you some BS about like B2B marketing changing the world. I'm trying to just be real with you on this podcast and talk about it as Dave, the person. And so I can now spend 30 minutes on this thing, which can give me the freedom to like have 40 hours back in my week and like take my daughter to swim lessons this morning and then go get a coffee and a muffin with her after. After like I'm gonna take. I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do that yeah, all every the time. single time. And if you don't like me, if you don't like me for that, then like. I have nothing for you. This sound, yeah, this sounds like the the origin story. So how, you don't have to get into the crazy specifics, but how does Exit Five make money right now? I know you said sponsorships, uh, but you have like some brand partnerships going on too, like with the webinars that you do. Obviously, the group. Like, what are the yeah. three to five? Like, what are the revenue streams right now? Those are just those are just marketing words for sponsorships, yeah. John. <laughs> it really is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the way that I the way that I generate income through Exit Five today is number one is memberships. And so it costs $30 a month or $250 for the year. And you get access to our community. There's 3,000 something paying members. There's there's less now because we moved off of Facebook and into Circle. And so there's like a bit of weird kind of churn thing that happened. But that was like a I was willing to eat a bunch of losses because I wanted to be off of Facebook and I'm in a much better position to build for the longer term and just overall. So that's fine. So there's a bunch of revenue, you know, let's let's call it between 10 and 30K a month in recurring revenue from subscriptions. And uh, there's also variable there because I've changed the price a lot over time. And so like it's 30 bucks a month now for people, but it started at 10. And so there's a bunch of people that are paying 10 and then it was $20 a month. And then I've done some promos over time. So there's a, a bunch of mix of revenue. And then starting last year, I had just, it was just membership revenue, but I started to get a ton of inbound for sponsorship type of stuff. Like, hey, can we do a webinar with you? Can we advertise on your podcast? Can we sponsor your newsletter? And so coming into this year, I was doing consulting. So I was basically doing exit five and I had, let's say three to five consulting clients at any time. And I actually lost almost, I lost about all of my consulting income about a year ago. I don't know if it was a year, maybe eight months ago or coming into this year when everybody freaked out about the economy and startups took a real hit. It wasn't so easy. And I wasn't doing very like, I wasn't doing project work. And so I was very much like a advisory, like consulting retainer, like paid it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in your meetings, I'm part of your team, I'm helping you with strategies type stuff. I wasn't like, you know, doing specific projects. And so all that went to zero. And I started to get all this interest in sponsorships. I was like, all right, you know, what? in 2023, I'm going to try to make all of my income through exit five. And I had for the last couple months, I started to do people wanted to do webinars and email sponsorships. And the income from that was great. But it was a little bit like whack-a-mole where like something would come in and I would do that and I didn't have a consistent stream from it. And so 
I got a great idea. I've never credited him publicly, but I'll do it now. It's from Scott Barker, who works with uh, Max, and he was at Sales Hacker, and now they run the GTM fund. He was like, hey, you should just bundle all of this. You should sell it as like a bundle for the year. And I was like, man, that's such a good idea. And so I went into 2023, and at the end of 2022, I said, hey, I'm looking for three premier sponsors for next year. And what that includes is, yeah, I basically bundled all my stuff. And so like podcast ads, newsletter, LinkedIn promotion, webinar, podcast appearance, you know, it all kind of like rotates throughout the year. And I bundled it because to something that we talked about earlier, I don't know if this was on the podcast or not. If I just charge based on like CPMs, like I would not be, I don't have a huge, I have 12,000 people on my email list. 3,000 listeners per episode of the podcast. We get about 1,000 people on every webinar. But when I bundle them and I'm selling to B2B where I had an example last year where I did a webinar with somebody and I think the webinar, I charged like eight grand or something for it. And I found out because I knew somebody else at the company, I found out later that they booked like 300K <laughs> in revenue from that. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, <laughs> well, we're going to charge more yeah, yeah. now. And because I'm not selling t-shirts or phone cases, like I, I can do that. And so today, you know, let's, let's just call Exit 5 like a million dollar a year business. And half of that would be from memberships and half of that is from sponsorships. I think... The other unique element though is like um, I'm involved in all of the sponsorship stuff. And so it's like, it's kind of Exit 5 and Dave. Like there are brands that want me to make the video specifically and like post it on LinkedIn or have it come from my mouth. And so it's not like, I don't think I could fully replicate all of that income if I wasn't involved in it. But for me, it's like I can spend a couple hours a week working on content and running the Exit 5 business and that's how we that's how we generate our revenue. There's also a lot of stuff that I'm leaving on the table that I don't want to do and so like maybe it's not the right fit or it's not the right product. It's got to be a product that's really interesting to exit 5 people and I have my finger on the pulse cuz I've been in B2B marketing for a decade and I see the conversations. But there's also just like there's there's a lot more inventory left out there that I'm just not I'm choosing not to squeeze, right? Yeah. Are you still doing jobs? The job board? Yeah, the job board I am so like six months ago, there used to be like 100 jobs every 30 days posted on the job board. And then like everybody stopped hiring and there was no there's no jobs. And so I do still have the job board. It's just not as big of a focus. And especially now inside of the Exit 5 community for, for members, there's a section where they can post if they're hiring or looking for jobs. Yeah, and so yeah. some people will still post jobs there and that's great. And I've gotten good feedback on that, but I'm not I'm not pushing that as hard as I am focusing my time on the, like my time right now is basically spent through community, podcast, newsletter, and just running the business day to day, sponsors, email, support, that type of stuff. Where are you going next? Because I know you've talked about doing more stuff for creators. You got the fitness stuff. You're a go you know, the golf influencer, parent influencer. You, yeah. you start a dad. I line. really have no idea. <laughs> I really have no idea. I, one thing that I do a lot is I share a lot of ideas and I kind of use them as ways to like gut check myself. And so I found that like if I sit on an idea internally for a while, I always think that it's good and it's going to work out. Something happens when I like write an email or post a tweet or write a LinkedIn post about something and then I sleep on it and I'm like, man, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and so 
I do like to use the social media audiences to like test a bunch of ideas. And so that's kind of why I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this like, you know, fitness dad, dad thing, or I'm going to do this golf thing. The honest answer is I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. I don't, I don't have another thing lined up, but I'm very, being very more specifically lately, I'm trying to give myself a lot of space to like have the time to just let it marinate. And Exit 5 is awesome. It's an amazing business and it's providing a ton of value to members and stuff. And so I'm treating that as like one product line that I'm responsible for. And I'm going to continue to run that. I'm going to continue to invest in that. I spend a, a bunch of time each week creating content, recording podcasts. I have an amazing, amazing agency that helps me manage the circle community. But other than that, I'm intentionally leaving space because I don't want to be the B2B marketing guy forever and I'm looking for that next act. But I also want to, I enjoy the business side of things. I, it's, it's competitive. I enjoy generating revenue. I enjoy coming up with new ways to build audiences and products and sell stuff. And so the real answer is, I don't know, man. I really don't know. And I'm, I'm trying not to like run into anything. One of the things that I'm working on lately, and I have my wife to credit for this, is I'm very impulsive which is uh, a gift and a curse for for an entrepreneurial type. It means I can move really fast and make decisions, but it also means like I leave a lot of like half created things in my wake. That's okay, right? Like you got to try a bunch of stuff yeah. to find what lands, right? Man, I could kiss you. Thank you for saying that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it it is. But I also I want to operate at a different level now. In that, like, I have some income. I have some time. I want to be intentional about what I'm going to do and I want to do an awesome job with it. So part of me, like the angel and the devil on my shoulder is telling me that, but then also I'm like, ah, I really want to get back into like writing. And I'm like, should I just like start a, a, my own newsletter or blog and just like let it happen and have no agenda and just like write my face off and just see where it goes. Like part of me is like, so what's your reaction to that while you're on here, Mr. Therapist? No, that that's good. Yeah. Like I think, uh, the real honest takes that you post, like you'll just, you'll just come out with stuff on Twitter or LinkedIn about like, and you'll pull from your experience. Right. And I think you have a lot of, I don't know, you just have a lot of insight, uh, based on your experiences, even just a drift alone, but then privy. And I, I don't know, you've been in a lot of situations that most of us haven't. And I think there's a lot of value in you just sharing like the stuff you might think is mundane, but you're already pretty good at that anyways. But I can put, but to me, that's about marketing and I'm channeling that into, to me, I'm channeling that into exit yeah, yeah. five, right? What I it's want. It's just like your life, like a lifestyle type of thing to blog about whatever you want, basically. Kind of. Yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. I think so. And I think, well, it's different. What's nice now is like with a community with thousands of members, I don't have to press myself for like, and I'm not an operator anymore and I'm yeah. not a CMO. I'm not in there. I don't have to press myself for like hot takes. Like, yeah. you know, what do I think about SEO and chat GPT? I don't know. But what's great is I have a podcast in two hours with someone who's an expert on that and I can yeah. talk to them for an hour or I can right. ask the question in the community and like that prompts a discussion. I think I'm, I, I've always thought of myself as more of a creator and entrepreneur than like marketer specifically. And so where I'm trying to go in my next chapter is evolve from like the B2B marketing advice guy to like, shoot, I might go buy a local business in Burlington, Vermont and like make it better right. and turn that into my next thing. Right. I don't know, right? I think there's I think there's a lot of, there'd be a lot of interest and just value in you just sharing that. Like you don't know what you're going to do. 
You know how many people don't know what their next move is, whether that's in their career that they know they want to be in, or just they're at a point in their life where they're changing careers, they're graduating college, they're retiring, but they want to do other stuff. There are so many people who would relate with with you just airing out like what you're what you're feeling. I think people are interested in the work that you've done. I don't think the interest stops when you stop talking about B2B, right? So I don't know. I think like you're you're a pretty honest person on social. You do talk about things other than B2B, but I think if you really got into uh, like I would read like yeah what what are the emotions you feel on a day to day basis about what's what's next how are you thinking through that like uh, how does your family play into it yeah all that kind of stuff would be interesting I think for people to read about because I think all of us at some point or at some area of our lives are at a point where we need to make a decision or we're unsure or we don't know what ne- what the future looks like everybody could relate with that right yeah so I I've been what's interesting to hear you say I've been doing that and I'm only showing you this because we're recording this right now but. Since I don't know where to put that, I've actually been channeling it into like a <laughs> oh, nice. writing, like an actual like, and uh, I, like just before this, I was at swimming with my daughter and she was in the pool in a swim lesson and I just stream of stream you know, of thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Like I write about a specific topic or something that's on my mind, but I, after I finished writing this, I'm like, oh, I could totally like type this up and this would be an interesting email. Right. And you know who would find it really interesting one day is your kids. Oh yeah, I got something separate for that. Yeah. I I've been journaling for like seven years, yeah. and I every night before I go to bed, I write about what we did that day. Oh, that's awesome! And yeah. if they can read my handwriting, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> I have the worst handwriting. Yeah, there'll, there'll be a tool at that point where you could just like yeah, it'll be transcribed for you. Just scan yeah, it. Do you haven't seen my handwriting? There's no AI that's going to be able to figure <laughs> this out. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a not million dollar product idea because it'll just be your handwriting. Everybody else's is fine. All right, man. Well, I should scoot because my kids are probably going to be home soon. And yeah, it'll be loud as hell in here. And I'm sure you got stuff to do, but this was great. This is a good example of why, by the way, like it's a shame. Like usually when I do my podcast, it's for, you know, it's for Exit 5 and we have an hour, but like a, a good natural podcast like this, it's like you need more than an hour because you need to just kind of like let it go a little and bit. Just follow and follow the threads where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was great to catch up with you. I'm a big fan. I'm going to continue to be a fan and supporter. Thank you for thank you for chatting. I, I, I enjoyed this. Even if it just was me hearing myself talk for an hour, I got a lot out of this. <laughs> Likewise, my friend. It was great. Great catching up, man. All right, man. I'll see you.